Hello, hello, and welcome to the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Jackson, another week of football in the books. How are we doing? Another week of football, a big week of football, big week of football news. I'm so, I'm just excited to be here, Kel. Always. Bart Scott can't wait. Bart Scott can't wait, indeed. Well, before we dive into another week of NFL news, I want to talk about our sponsor of the FN News Show, Underdog Fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Even with NFL best ball season over, Underdog has other user-friendly game formats to spice up all the games. Why don't you try their Battle Royale, a six-round best ball-style draft with similar chances to win than traditional fantasy sports sites. Or you could try their Pick'em games, where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog app from your app store today. And remember, that's promo code OUTSIDERS. Use that to double your first deposit up to $100. Do it. Do it now. Do it now. Diving right into it, I hate to start with bad news, but Tampa Bay is is on the ropes right now. Uh, A lot of roster shuffling going on in Tampa Bay right now. Let's start out with the Mike Evans suspension. Speaking of on the ropes, Evans was involved in a big fight this week, had his suspension uh, denied, uh, or sorry, his appeal for suspension denied. Evans will have to sit one game for his altercation in the brawl. In response to that, Buccaneers bringing Cole Beasley He's played 11 seasons in the NFL most recently. The Buffalo Bills was a free agent up until this point. He'll be coming in. I believe he started out as a practice squad guy with the expectation for an elevation this week. It's a lot of turnover for the receiving room, Jackson. Now, Godwin's, Julio Jones already out. Evans now missing the game. Bringing in Beasley's one thing, but it's a uh, feels like a Band-Aid on a uh, – Pretty big wound, Jackson. What do we think yeah. about this? When we look at it in the context of this particular week, I would not say things are looking great for the Tampa Bay Bucks. And to start things off, I mean, these three guys, Julio, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, they combine for 175 out of the Bucks, 212 receiving yards in week one. That's basically the whole offense. Now they're all not there. Jones theoretically might be back this week. That would be a big help. He's getting to be a bit of an older guy. You want to give someone like that time to heal from a hamstring injury. Maybe you just let him sit out because this Packers game does not look like a super winnable game anyway. But regardless, Cole Beasley, not wouldn't exactly call him a, skill, a similar skill set to old Mike Evans, but he's definitely a warm body. He's definitely someone with a lot of NFL experience, which is kind of the Bucks' MO. They bring in guys with as much experience as you can possibly find. So... I don't know how it pans out for them long-term. It's not as if, you know, when Godwin comes back, you necessarily need another slot receiver. But for this particular week, you certainly needed a body. If you want to have any chance to compete against the Green Bay Packers, you need actual NFL receivers on the field. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's a little confounding to me. Just an update on Godwin and Jones. Godwin, 
out with a hamstring injury, still recovering from that ACL, but did play week one. Did not practice this week on Wednesday. Neither did Julio Jones. However, he has an agreement in his deal that basically treats Wednesdays as rest days. Jones will be expected to practice on Thursday. But back to the Beasley signing, you're starting to get into a log jam at the position. You, The other guy on the roster right now is Russell Cage, who in this offense has predominantly taken slot snaps. Chris Godwin in an ideal world when you have Evans, Godwin, and Jones lining up together. Evans is playing the X. Jones is playing the Z. Godwin's in the slot. Uh, the only thing I can take away is this Beasley thing feels like a bit of a temporary fix. But, you know, hey, maybe he makes a splash. Maybe they find a way to continue to integrate him. If the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have learned any lessons from the 2021 season, it's that you can't have enough productive receivers on a roster. True. And I did just want to add that both Brady and Julio Jones have that Wednesday clause in their contract, but Brady's at practice today. So I don't know if, if the winds are blowing in a different direction in Tampa or what, but all of a sudden Brady finds it necessary to be in there on a Wednesday, despite his team's two and zero start that people have not responded very positively to, even though they are wins on the scoreboard. So we'll see, but I'm, I'm not loving their odds for this particular week. I did want to ask you, Kale, do you think that Evans and his team have a case when they say that this one game suspension is not warranted because he already got punished by being ejected from the previous game? I think with the tr- I, I, I think this is warranted if only to send a message. Uh not only is this not Evans's first altercation period, but he and the Saints, he and Marshawn Lattimore have a bit of a history. And also, Evans came onto the field from the sideline to start this. Not, not, not quite start it. Began with Lattimore and uh, Leonard Fournette, but the escalation of it was Evans, you know, coming in and making that defense. So I think you've just got to send the message there. It's one game. It's not going to be the end of the world. But, you know, know, let's hope it not happens again. I do agree. But at this point, Marshawn Lattimore has proven to have an uncanny ability to get under Mike Evans' skin and somehow ruffle his feathers without getting his own feathers ruffled too bad. This This is Marshawn Lattimore's potentially greatest skill in the NFL is taking Mike Evans completely out of a game. And he's done it once again, bit of a nuisance there. And it's a, uh, it's one of the intangibles you look for on any given defense, more bad box news, defensive tackle, Akeem Hicks tears his plantar fascia on his foot. He's expected to miss about a month of the injury. Foot injuries kind of stick around for defensive tackles, uh, given our return to game data that we have. Uh, usually any sort of foot injury will sideline, uh, you know, sideline players for a while will take 75% of defensive linemen return within two weeks, but those injuries typically linger. They don't really leave the weekly injury sheet for an extra two weeks. Given this kind of injury, I expect it to stick around a while. Jackson Hicks has played 59 snaps for the Bucks so far through two weeks. He's a new addition to this defense. 
what kind of impact does this make? And they're sitting right now for what has typically been a pretty strong Buccaneers rushing defense. It's early, but they're sitting right now at 15th in rushing defensive DVOA. Yeah, and to me, this is another thing that impacts them more in the short term than the long term and just is another checkbox for me as to why I think they're going to lose to Green Bay this week. But everything else, you know, give give him a few weeks and hopefully it's to a point where he can play, even if it's through pain where it doesn't hinder, <clears throat> excuse me, where it doesn't hinder his movement too much. Uh, but you would think – you know, Packers coming in with a very strong rushing attack, two very quality backs who can beat you in different ways. And I just think that, you know, this is this is one of those things where the Bucks can figure out how to scheme around the loss of Hicks in the run game long term. For a week, they might struggle. And as you've said, they've already struggled a little bit more than we might have expected from them coming into the season. It's it's two big losses between Evans and Hicks. It's two sizable losses specifically matchup dependent this week for this Tampa Bay team. The Green Bay Packers currently ranked last in the league with a plus 78.6% DVOA against wide receiver ones. I do think a lot of that is from the week one matchup against Justin Jefferson, but the case still stands. I don't think it was from Darnell Mooney this past week, Kel. Yeah. Hey, they really had their hands full there, but the, Packers rushing attack between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon really strong. Having a guy like Hicks would uh, would be a big help. So if that's informing any uh, any underdog decisions this weekend, then, uh, you know, plan accordingly. Yeah. I move. Just so, so much pain for a foot injury, man. I, I can't even – when you're 295 pounds and trying to move along on that, that just can't be good. Yeah, a lot of thudding, a lot of stomping. That's a, that's a tough one. Moving out west, more injury news. Trey Lance, still kind of hoping, uh, scoping out the landscape there. He underwent season-ending ankle repair surgery after getting pretty tied up in that uh, in that Seahawks game, getting carted off the field. Jimmy Garoppolo comes to fill in. 49ers have signed Kurt Bankert to their practice squad and have Mr. Irrelevant from 2022, Brock Purdy as a central backup to Jimmy Garoppolo. If you guys remember when Jimmy Garoppolo restructured his contract, it's a base earning of six and a half mil with the option to earn up to an extra 10 million in performance incentives. He's getting 250 K every time he starts and plays 25% of snaps. Jackson, I don't, where where are we at with this 49ers team? They're currently standing at plus 150 to win the NFC West. And say what you want about, you know, high floor, low ceiling Garoppolo sits right now at six in EPA among all QB since the start of last season. Yeah. I mean, he's still a very competent quarterback. Kale. He, he obviously has his limitations. And when you get into the fourth quarter of an NFC championship or Super Bowl, those limitations have at times proven to be pretty costly, but it takes a pretty good amount of quarterback talent to even get you into those situations. Uh, and if you're just thinking about the odds to win the NFC West, I mean, they haven't done that since the Super Bowl season, but they were four and six last year and came right back and made the playoffs at 10 and seven when Jimmy really got going and that offense got healthy. So I don't know. Like I still kind of, is is it bad to say that I kind of believe in this 49ers team more now that the whole situation is a little bit resolved? I, 
I don't think my faith personally has gone up or down. I think you'd win some games that you would lose if Lance is a quarterback just because of the certainty and the veteran presence of Garoppolo and just what he is as a passer, as a known entity as a passer. But I also think you're losing some games that you'd win because of Lance's incredibly high ceiling. Now, just throw some more numbers at you, Garoppolo. 10th in DYAR in 2021 among quarterbacks, 5th in DVOA. I listen, it's a tough, it's a tough deal right now. I, I'm more worried about Lance's future. I think the uh, the leash gets shortened. You know, now you're entering year three. There's some, you know, additional stipulations. Now you're even more further removed from, you know, your last legitimate season of playing football. Uh, it's, it's what three years at this point that he's played a starting role at NDSU. He's still thrown less than, you know, 500 passes since high school. It's, you know, it, you hate to see it. You hate to see something like this, but just in terms of the 2022 season outlook, I think having Jimmy G in is kind of a wash, but at least you have a guy in the building that knows the system. Agreed. And we have, we have, you know, some activity going on in our YouTube chat right now. I see the question, is Jimmy G going to prove himself QB1 worthy? I think he has. Maybe it's not QB1 across the entire league, but you have the stability now. You have the guy that's been in the building for four or five years, knows the offense. And I just think that, you know, they're they're right there in the NFC West with the Rams. The NFC in general doesn't look the strongest this year, especially compared to the AFC. So, it's such a huge bummer for Lance, but they're still just right there in that crowded NFC. And I, I don't think this changes my opinion of whether or not they can make noise this year. If anything, I think it helps. Oh yeah, definitely. One more, uh, one more injury update slash addition for the 49ers. Uh, rookie running back Tyrion Davis price is going to be out with a high ankle sprain. He's out at least a month. Looks like. This comes in addition to Elijah Mitchell missing a lot of time, probably two months with an MCL sprain. The move in response, bringing in Marlon Mack, former Colts running back. Uh, When he was a starter, put up very, very solid numbers from an efficiency perspective. That 2019 season's up there pretty high. He ends up finishing... 18th in DVOA and 15th in DYAR last time he started. That's only a year after the 2018 season. He finished fourth among running backs in DYAR and 10th in DVOA. Where do we stand, Jackson? Because, you know, this guy was on the Houston Texans in the preseason. Doesn't make that roster in favor of Damian Pierce and Rex Burkhead, I believe. Uh, lost the starting job to Jonathan Taylor when Jonathan Taylor came into uh, Indianapolis. I'll excuse that. That's okay with me. That's, yeah, I you know, a warranted loss most likely. But, you know, do you think Marlon Mack can, you know, help a pretty run-heavy 49ers team? I mean, if there's one team where it is just next man up with a running back, the 49ers are it, right? I mean, they've cycled through dozens of running backs in in the Shanahan era. And most of them have seemed to have at least some form of success. I don't think Marlon Mack's ever going to be your RB one. If you're thinking about Marlon Mack in fantasy, 
I think of looking elsewhere, but doesn't mean, I mean, RB twos on, on every team can make a big difference, you know, whether that's regular season, postseason. Um, there's going to be plays to get made plays in the passing game, especially I think for this 49ers team that Marlon Mack can be serviceable. So I don't, I'm not anticipating, you know, a, a Marlon Mack career resurgence, but you know, every offense just, just cause guys aren't, you know, super useful for fantasy purposes doesn't mean that they aren't, you know, good options to have on an offense. And I think that's what Marlon Mack can be at his best for the Niners. Should be noted that the Niners currently also have Jeff Wilson Jr. as their starting running back on the roster, as well as Jordan Mason, an undrafted free agent rookie. Jackson, we're going to be staying in, in the state of California, and we're going to be staying on quarterback injuries. Latest on Justin Herbert goes down Thursday night with a bit of a grisly injury to, you know, rolls over a helmet, bruises some ribs. Comes back into the game, finishes up, makes some pretty impressive throws for some bruised rib cartilage. Been pretty radio silent since. His injury is being treated by the same doctor that Tyrod Taylor is currently suing for $5 million for the punctured lung that kind of started Herbert's career for week two against the Kansas City Chiefs. Jackson, we think Herbert's going to play Sunday? I feel like the extra rest helps him out. Yeah, I think that's a key factor here. Again, it's been complete radio silence. We know absolutely nothing more than we knew the day after the injury when Brandon Staley just basically gave the he's day-to-day classic quote. Um, yeah, I think he's playing Sunday. I, I That's just my gut feeling. I think if the, if the Chargers are sitting at 2-0 and right now and they just came off a win against the Chiefs, maybe you think about resting him against Jacksonville. But I think... It's just sort of a, you have the extra rest. You're already falling behind in the division a little bit. You want to get back out there and make sure you beat the Jags on Sunday. Chargers are currently seven-point favorites against the Jags. Jags looked pretty competitive on Sunday against the Colts. Stick with more QB news. Kyler Murray police investigation. Police have officially launched an investigation in Las Vegas uh, looking at a video of a fan uh basically striking Kyler Murray uh, in the aftermath of Sunday's uh, overtime win by the Cardinals uh, rallied from a 20 point deficit. Uh, Jackson, anything on that? The video, I I'm still struck by how surprised Kyler looked when it happened. Uh, You know, I think he's probably surprised as any of us uh, for the reaction in that video, but uh yeah, what do you what do you think the? I think it's, I don't know if it's broke. Say what do you think the outcome of this is going to be? But, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, if I if, if I had signed up, if I had signed up for a policing career, then maybe I'd have a little bit more of an opinion on what the outcome would be. But I think what what really kind of marks the story for me is just how like strange of a moment it is when you play a sixty minute football game where essentially your job is to be under and avoid subsequent assaults. And then you think the game is over. You think you just want it and you go run into the crowd and what happens? You get assaulted. Like these are, these are not things that should be happening at a sporting event. This is, you know, if we want players to be interactive with fans and, uh, you know, to show their personality and, you know, become, we talk about this in baseball all the time, especially it's like the players are not giving us enough personality football, 
a little bit more so. You see guys interacting with their fantasy owners on Twitter or whatever, but there's there's a level of fan stewardship that comes with all this that one person can really mess up. So if you want Kyler Murray to be, you know, gregarious, you know, the, the star power that he has, if you want him to really open up, let's not go slapping him in the face. That's my take on all this. I mean, honestly, talk about being a sore loser. I mean, up 20 to nothing. Kyler Murray essentially just single-handedly wills this team back into an overtime victory, uh, runs, you know, 100 yards to the tune of yakety sacks on a two-point conversion. Uh, pretty much, it's a, it was a outside of the, you know, Byron Jones fumble touchdown. It was, you know, to get them back into that position, it was pretty much a single-handed Kyler Murray effort. So, while it is very much unjustifiable, the rage, I, <laughs> you know, you have every right to be mad at Kyler Murray for just embarrassing the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I mean, they really did play Yakety Sacks in the stadium, Kale, as it was happening. It was unbelievable. The PA announcer just had so much wherewithal. Um, yeah, I, Raiders, Raiders fans have a bit of a rep, uh, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. It's not, it's not anything personal. It's not like there aren't people who might assault someone in every fan base on a Sunday when they get overheated, but that's, that's not something we should be doing, guys. Stick it with fisticuffs and altercation. <laughs> As we get into Buffalo Bills offensive lineman Bobby Hart suspended for a game. After the Bills-Titans game on Monday night, Hart apparently tried to confront a Titans player in the tunnel, went out of his way to do so, threw a punch, and instead ended up punching a Titans coach suspended for a game. They'll be out. With or they'll be without Bobby Hart for uh, you know just one game in their matchup against the Miami Dolphins. Think it could take care of business without Hart Jackson? I think we're really this is the craziest story of the week here, Kale. I mean, if this was you know uh, a top tier offensive lineman that people knew the name of instead of Bobby Hart, this would be everywhere. We don't know who the Titans player was, we don't know who the coach was. What the heck was this? You won 41 to 7. What got you so twisted up and shot that you decided to head into the tunnel and start throwing haymakers? Um, I don't know. The Bills have no holes at all. So if this somehow exposes a hole that their offensive line depth isn't amazing, so be it. But they have treated the Dolphins like pinata for the last five years, and I don't really expect that to stop because somebody had a little hissy fit in the tunnel after the game. Hart played 17 snaps in Buffalo's 41-7 victory over uh, Tennessee. He played 17 on offense, an additional seven on special team. So, you know, impact to some, but I, uh, I don't think the Bills will miss him too much for this one. And the Bills don't punt. So if you need to put in another offensive lineman on kickoffs – Darn, but the Bills don't punt, and when they do, it turns into a touchdown because the other team can't catch it. More suspension news. Chiefs linebacker Willie Gay suspended for four games. Uh, This stems from a uh, domestic altercation that took place in January. Uh, No domestic violence. However, Gay uh, destroyed a vacuum. Uh, He pled guilty 
to the destruction of property for a criminal property damage of under one thousand uh, dollars. That's a uh, that's a tough loss there. The Chiefs will likely be starting Leo Chanel, their rookie linebacker. The question I have, Jackson, is the uh, the wheels kind of turned pretty slowly on this one. The uh, the altercation took place in January. Uh, Gay pled guilty in the summer and was able to play the first uh, two games for the Chiefs prior to his suspension. Yeah, like what is that? I, I that's my only question about this entire story. I I remember seeing some of this news about Gay as you know, kind of Chiefs beat reports were cycling throughout the off season. And it sort of slipped my mind when I remembered or when I saw him on the field over the first two weeks. It sort of, I, I suppose that this was sort of handled and that no punishment was coming. And now we see that a punishment is coming. And I can't dispute that a suspension is warranted in this situation. But the fact that he played the first two weeks and they sort of allowed the Chiefs to get comfortable with him in their defense before pulling the rug out from under them just – I don't know. It doesn't sit quite right with me. I don't understand why the NFL has to drag its feet on something like this. If a suspension is forthcoming, maybe there's behind the scenes stuff going on that we have no idea about private hearings, that sort of thing with the league office, but I don't get it. It's, it's weird and troublesome to me. Now, Gay was a pretty impactful, you know, we'll see how Chanel handles it, but I will mention that Gay was a pretty impactful player in that Thursday night game against the Los Angeles Chargers played 92% of defensive snaps, uh, ended up with six solo tackles, three assists, uh, two tackles for loss, a QB hit, and two pass breakups. So unlike losing Bobby Hart for the Bills, this is not an insignificant loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. That being said, they do have Indianapolis uh, to play against and – through two games, it doesn't look like the toughest opponent. I would, however, just be a little bit more worried about the games that are to come because this means that they'll be without Willie Gay for that week six matchup against Buffalo, which feels like a uh, you know impending clash of titans in the AFC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that game could very well come down to who gets the one seed in the AFC. And as we saw last year, even though it wasn't a matchup of a one seed, uh, whoever has home field advantage in that Chiefs-Bills playoff matchup uh, is likely to have an advantage. So we'll see. It's definitely a tough loss. I do like when you know, highly drafted defensive rookies kind of get a chance to prove themselves by force uh, when somebody in front of them gets forced out. We've seen with the Titans and the Harold Landry injury, the Titans have been very bad so far, despite having young guys to, you know, existing on the roster to kind of fill the void. So it's sort of a prove it moment for Chanel. Maybe you didn't want it to come this early, but, you know, you draft a guy in the third round for a reason. So, Hopefully he can show something. Uh, but, yeah, Gay, clearly a loss for this defense. What makes a four-game suspension in the NFL? Hard to say a lot of the time. I don't, I'll just kind of leave it at that. It's it's not a fun situation. More injury updates. Uh, this time mostly sticking in Buffalo. Uh, we're updating two from Monday. we got great news uh, about Dane Jackson, cornerback for the Buffalo Bills, who – 
went down with a scary, scary injury in that game. Had the ambulance come out. Uh, he was taken to the hospital, dismissed the next day. Uh, still waiting on x-rays and CT scans uh, because uh, just avoiding the danger of potential swelling, putting pressure on certain vitals. Uh, but Jackson does have full uh, movement in all of his extremities. He seemed to have avoided any major injuries. And until we get the results of that, uh, of those CT scans, those x-ray scans, seems like Jackson, uh, you know, really, really, as of now, until we hear more injury news, best possible result. Yeah, I mean, this is this transcends a football story at this point. This is no longer like a is Dane Jackson going to be back for this team? It's let's make sure that Dane Jackson is still you know fully capable of living out his life to the best possible extent, and then we'll worry about you know whether or not he can play for the Bills again. But. That was a terrifying injury. I hate when those happen on national TV. Um, there's just, it's just one of the most unavoidable, but one of the most unfortunate um, aspects of a football season is when something like that happens and you have to see somebody get taken off on a gurney. Uh, and it's just very, very lucky. It seems that he's going to be, you know, able, able to function normally. Cause we've obviously seen instances in the past, um, not long ago where guys have not had the same fate. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't really get how you, you know, it's, it's tough to watch the games, let alone play them, uh, when injuries like that happen. So it's really good to hear some positive news out of what was a very, very scary sight on Monday night. Uh, a little bit more under the radar uh, in terms of injuries. Micah Hyde was also evaluated for a neck injury and went to the hospital Monday night following the game. Uh, left of the neck injury, uh, somewhat similar situation, but he seemed to uh, – it's it's something that had been lingering from the summer that it seemed to pop up. Uh, McDermott says it's too soon to know if it was related to that or what the situation is there, but it's a big loss for the Buffalo Bills secondary, Jackson. They've kind of been known for that safety duo in Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. So that's a, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough bill to swallow for the Buffalo secondary. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Poyer is the one who has the two picks through the first two games, but I think that even Jordan Poyer would say that Micah Hyde is kind of the guy in that secondary. You know, he's the first team all pro. He's the guy that's been there the longest uh, even Trey White, I would imagine, looks up to him as the leader in that part of the locker room. So um, you hope that he gets back as soon as possible. Obviously, not as terrifying an injury as the Dane Jackson one that we saw. I do remember seeing Micah Hyde down on the turf, uh, sort of in the middle of that third quarter when the game was getting out of hand. And obviously, if you're a Bills fan, that's one of your greatest fears. He's one of the leaders of your defense, but... Um, I think fortunately here um, at, at worst, and, and that's what you want to hope to avoid, honestly, is that it would be a lingering situation uh, because obviously it's not the type of thing where people are worried that he's going to be imminently, uh, you know, at threat of missing a lot of time. It's, it's just the sort of thing where you really don't want this thing to linger. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's he, he, He's a massive part of the secondary, and I think that's been one of the biggest strengths. Just how seamlessly, how seamlessly these guys move together in coverage, uh, how dominant they've been against 
pretty solid receiving course thus far. Uh, you know, outside of, you know, letting Cooper Cup run around there, but Cooper Cup's Cooper Cup. Beyond that, they dominated that Titans offense on Monday night and just looking for a speedy recovery out of Micah High. Yeah. I mean, they're a defense where it, it seems like they've been playing together for years, even though they brought new guys in this offseason. They, they run – it's almost like watching a basketball team out there, the way they move in sync together. And any time that you take someone out of that defense at all, let alone the guy who's you know got the longest tenure is, is just the guy in that secondary is obviously not what you want. At the same time, as we've mentioned, the Bills are an absolute wagon. I think what we've said about them previously is if you take either of these Bills units and just put them on their own with an average other side of the ball – Average Bills offense with that defense, they're still a title contender. Average Bills defense with that offense, they're still a title contender. So if Hyde has to miss some time and this defense is just very good instead of the best in the league, I don't think that means they're all of a sudden a threat to drop out of Super Bowl contention. Yeah, and I think Super Bowl contention is the thing Buffalo has to focus on here. If they drop a game or two, it's the only thing. If they drop a game or two in the regular season because they're missing a safety, that's fine as long as they have Micah Hyde ready to go for the playoffs, wishing him a speedy recovery and a blank slate in terms of the injury uh, injury report because neck injuries are scary. Yeah. Little, uh, little mood lightener here. We've got some Pro Football Hall of Fame nominees ready to go. We've received the full list of nominees already. It's headlined by a pretty strong class of first-year eligibles. Cleveland Browns tackle Joe Thomas, Dwight Freeney, Darrell Revis, Camp Chancellor. We're getting you know some Legion Boom guys in there now. This is this is a pretty loaded group of first years. Before we get into the rest of the uh, rest of the nominees, Jackson, any fond memories? Any uh, any big standouts? from this crop of first years? Well, I mean, I think first of all, you have to say that those three headliners there, I would, I would just put them in the hall of fame. Like those are, those are three names that to me are so synonymous with watching NFL red zone on, on my, uh, in my career as a football fan. And all of them are just fantastic in their own special ways. Uh, Joe Thomas, one of the greatest offensive linemen I've ever seen just a model of consistency. Honestly, the Browns, any success that they've had over the past few years, which granted it may not be much to most franchises, but just the fact that they won a playoff game is, is nothing to sneeze at. And Joe Thomas was just the, the pillar of stability through all those years where they were absolutely pathetic for the most part as a franchise. Uh, Darrell Revis, glad he got his ring with the Patriots, even though he obviously had the – kind of the best years of his career in New York. Um, one of the best shutdown corners I've ever seen. Almost nothing negative to say about him. One of the only people who could stand up to prime Patriots, Randy Moss, which is no small feat. And then, I don't know, Dwight Freeney, just an absolute beast. And a beast for a really, really long time. Somebody that could just completely disrupt anything an offense was trying to do. And when you put someone like that on a team with Peyton Manning, it's probably a recipe for some pretty serious postseason success. I will say a lot of this class was kind of 
my first real introduction to how awesome and dominant NFL defenses can be. You know, watching Dwight Freeney on those Peyton Manning Colts teams, uh, you know, watching Randy Moss go against Darrell Revis, like Revis Island, you know, growing up in New York, like people talking about Revis Island was a big deal. And I'd be remiss not to mention James Harrison, who crushed for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was just an absolute threat every time he went out there. You know, don't want to forget about the rest of these first-year eligibles. Uh, the only skill position player in the group, CJ 2K, Chris Johnson. Hey. Memorable, memorable season over there. Uh, we've got guard Jahari Evans. We've got linebacker Navarro Bowman. And punter Shane Leckler. Got a uh, pretty solid group of year ones there. For moving down to the rest of the list, there are, I believe, it's 129 modern era names. Are there any from this list? Maybe put you on the spot there. There's a lot of names in there, Jackson. But are there any from this list that you hope to see get in this year? I mean, not that I necessarily hope to see get in that are below those second tier of names. And I'll go into kind of the the bottom of the list and shout out some memories in a moment. But I did want to go back to someone who you just mentioned the name of who we I, I just have anecdotes about Navarro Bowman. Like when you talk about guys that showed you who or uh, who showed you what great defense in the NFL looks like. There was this guy, Navarro Bowman, on all those 49ers teams that, you know, came close to and eventually made it to a Super Bowl. Uh, And everyone talked about how incredible Patrick Willis always was, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he absolutely deserves that. There were years that Navarro Bowman was better than Patrick Willis. He was, you know, didn't do it for as long as, you know, some of the guys on this list, especially Freeney, but at his peak was undisputed first-team All-Pro quarterback's worst nightmare nobody nobody escaped his arm tackles like Navarro Bowman was one of the best defensive players I've ever seen at his peak so did want to just throw that out there um I mean how about how about like some returners as well I mean Devin Hester stands out to me as somebody who didn't make it in last year but when I think about my lifetime watching football I mean nobody's ever returned kicks like Devin Hester at least not since maybe a Dion or somebody like that so in my opinion, if I'm putting someone in who is further down the list slash didn't get in last year, last year, I'd, I'd love to see Devin Hester get in. Devin Hester's up there for me too, if only because, you know, I feel like we kind of see the same names or calibers of players in the, you know, Pro Football Hall of Fame nomination discussion. I'm still a big advocate of getting him in as a returner just because of what he was able to do on a football field in the special teams, you know? Yeah. And special you look teams at this one of, I was going to say special teams is one eighth of that DVOA pie. Devin Hester made it feel like a very important one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 2006 bears, you would watch them just to watch Devin Hester. I mean, that the kickoff return in the Super Bowl is one thing, but he created a meme before there was a meme when, when he returned two, I, I can't remember if they were punts or kickoffs, but house two balls against the Arizona Cardinals on Monday night football, leading to the infamous quote, they are who we thought they were. Kale. Devin Hester is exactly who we thought he was. And that was, I mean, as I'm seeing in the comments, he was that guy. No, I mean, he was him. Absolutely. He was very much him. 
Uh, for me, I am a bit partial. I'd, I'd love to see Vince Wilfork in there. You know, mm. if we're going if we're going in that whole, you know, defensive lineman category, Jared Allen returning as a 2022 nom. Uh, loved him. Vikings. The Vince Wilfork, though, just, you know, holds a special place in my heart. A dominant, dominant interior defensive lineman. And honestly, could just go in the hall uh, for his performance in the Houston Texans hard knocks on his own. Walking Correct. in. No shirt, overalls on. Uh, that, you know, just kind of instead of going the head bust, go full like you know maybe like mid torso, <laughs> capture the full, uh, full anatomy, uh, the just the showcasing of that uh, that physique in those overalls. He was a uh, just a delight to watch growing up. Yeah, an underrated Hard Rocks moment and one of my favorites when Bill O'Brien was trying to give the team an actual stern lecture and he was like, what's everybody looking at? And he turned around and he just couldn't help but bursting out laughing when he saw Vince Wilfork. Um, and one of the more underrated, I guess not underrated, I'd say just flat out one of the best seasons of Hard Knocks out there. Oh, yeah. And they brought in, was it Carly Lloyd? I know it was a USWNT star to kick field goals with Vince Wilfork and Vince actually made some kicks that same day. Just a unbelievable hard knocks what a gem what let a me gem. give you one more kale because i i think i misspoke i said patrick willis was a no doubt first ballot hall of famer and he's still on the list as a returning vet who didn't get in last year put patrick willis in the hall of fame like what are we doing patrick willis was one of the best linebackers i've ever seen he didn't have he had a nine-year career i get it you love longevity in the hall of fame but patrick willis was not quite aaron donald level dominant but a step below it at his peak Absolutely. Going on to our Thursday night football roundup to close up the show. Starting out in Pittsburgh, George Pickens is uh, has apparently been open 90% of the time uh, in the NFL. Had, George Pickens. Had some things to say. The uh, first-year wide receiver out of the University of Georgia uh, had said when asked about uh, – the percentage of him running free against the Patriots, he said, I'd say about 90% of the time. I'd say that because I'm a big guy who runs low four fours. I'm always going to have a step. Then said, uh, I'd say we don't have enough time to get on the same page. It's all of us collectively. Time's everything. We don't got time. Now, Mr. Biscay responded to that saying he's got to look for Pickens more. A lot of people were taking this as a call out to Trubisky. From everything Pickens is saying, it sounds a little bit more like a call out to the offensive line. Jackson, it's a loaded receiving room in there, though. I, you know, 90% is a lot, but, you know, you got to spread the ball around a little bit. Yeah, I would liken that receiving room to having, you know, a three, four car garage with some, you know, maybe a Ferrari, a Maserati, whatever you want to call it. But when you have Mitch Trubisky in that offensive line, you're filling all of these cars up with regular. So, I, I don't know. It's it's a tough situation for Pickens. It's sort of like a welcome to the league moment. It's, you know, you can be open, uh, especially, you know, and in the NFL, open is not necessarily open, right? Like it is in college. You know, if you have half a step, that means you have to be open and you have to have a quarterback who can fit that ball into that tight window. So 
Yeah, I, that was the interesting part of it to me, though, Kale, is when I when I first read a lot of the stories that were out there about Pickens, when I, I saw the quote and wanted to find more about it, you know, everyone's kind of framing it as an anti-Trubisky thing. And I don't think Trubisky's good at all, bar none. But when I actually listened to the uninterrupted minute-long, you know, kind of back and forth with Pickens and a Pittsburgh reporter, it really does sound more like he's calling out the offensive line. He's saying, you know, it's not necessarily that we're not on the same page. It's that we just don't have time. Timing is absolutely everything. And if you don't have time, everything gets disrupted. And it's not like the Patriots have one of the worst defensive fronts, but I certainly wouldn't say one of the best. And you're going to see a defensive front in Cleveland this week that is definitely one of the best. So I don't know. I don't I don't love this for Pittsburgh. And it's not like I had Pittsburgh, you know, marked down as a playoff team. Anyway. So it's not like I'm necessarily surprised that they're struggling and they're honestly very fortunate to be at one and one. But this is a this is a big problem. If if your rookie receiver who was getting all the praise in the preseason probably had some pretty good chemistry with Kenny Pickett from that preseason, uh, is now saying I just can't can't get targets. I'm open, the ball's not getting to me. Should be noted that, and by the way, all the uh, the last quote I gave and the quote that I'm giving now come from Mark Caballi, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat reporter for The Athletic. Uh, Pickens also seems to have a plan about how he uh, could get going. Uh, Caballi asked him uh, if he needs a couple of easy and early catches to kind of build up some momentum. Uh, and Pickens responded, UGA, I probably tell my coach or they would already know, throw me a hitch. It was in the game plan. Uh, a whole new set of coaches here. So, you know, Pickens not only coming with the problem, also coming with the solution. So yeah. at, least, at least he's bringing innovation to this team. I get it, but you have a lot of mouths to feed on that offense, right? I mean, we just talked about it. You have Deontay Johnson. You have Chase Claypool. Pat Fryermuth's kind of proving his mettle in year two as a tight end. They have Najee Harris, who got 400 touches last year. So, you know, it's, it's game script dependent, but if you start throwing him hitches and he only gets three, four yards, then it's not a good move. So, you know, I think he's saying it's not that he's not saying the right things, but if he gets these opportunities, he's certainly got to make the most of them. And I think he can. He's a great talent. Should be noted that Pickens currently two for six on targets this year. Those six targets represent an 8.6 target share of the Pittsburgh Steelers passes. Moving on to Cleveland. We've got a couple stories coming out of there. Nick Chubb opened up about the touchdown he scored that uh, pretty much opened the door for a Jets 13-point comeback, I believe. Uh, Chubb ran to the end zone with 155 left to play. Jets had no timeouts left. That score put the Browns up 30-17. to However, had he not run it in, Browns essentially could have just kneeled it out. Still would have been some time left on the clock, but he, you know, pretty much opened the door for this comeback. Again, a, a miraculous comeback for the Jets, not only putting together a very quick touchdown drive, but also recovering an onside kick and scoring a second touchdown. But Chubb spoke to the media on Tuesday and said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have scored there. Honestly, looking back at it, it cost us the game. A lot of things went wrong, not just one thing, but collectively as a unit, as a team, we could have all done things different. But it's only a problem because we didn't win, so I probably should have went down. Now, I recognize it from a strategy thing. We saw some other, you know, sacrifice opportunity for points. 
this weekend in order to secure a lead. Uh, if you remember correctly, the Rams stymied the Atlanta Falcons 28 to three point comeback by taking an intentional safety and taking a free kick uh, with just seconds remaining. Ended up sacking Marcus Mariota on the Hail Mary attempt. I personally, you know, the Jets did a lot of things right and the Browns did a lot of things wrong in those two minutes. I'm personally in the camp that I get strategically, you probably want to go down at the one, but if you're scoring too many points, there's other problems on the table. That might just be me, though. I, I'm i going to sort of disagree because we definitely agree that a lot had to go wrong afterwards, but the point remains that things do go wrong often in the NFL. Like It's really hard to win in the NFL, and it's really easy to find a way to lose. And I sort of have, you know, in, in my brief but illustrious career as an NFL um, you know, analyst, have, have sort of coined this term head-scratcher of the week. This was my head-scratcher of the week. Just everything the Browns did in the final two minutes, and especially, like, you start off with that Nick Chubb moment. The game is literally over if you go down inside the two-yard line. And if you go down outside the two-yard line, this is what really does it for me. You go down short of the first down, you're still going to kick a field goal with 20 seconds left on the clock, and the game is over. Now, let's keep going here. The Browns miss the extra point. That can't happen. The Browns just, you know, try to cut off the sideline with Denzel Ward, and that leads to Corey Davis just snaking it back upfield and scoring a 66-yard touchdown. That can't happen either. Amari Cooper shies away from the onside kick. That can't happen. And Jacoby Brissett gets them into field goal range or close to it and throws a pick with 12 seconds left. That also can't happen. So you're right. A lot absolutely had to go wrong. But again, in the NFL, a lot does go wrong a lot of the time. And it's, you know, if, if you're ever in a situation to where you can just fall down and end the game, you have to. It just it, like that was proof positive. You know, we had this debate like, oh, you took away points from my fantasy team. The game would have been over anyway. That's why it's not. The Jets had no timeouts. It was inside the two-minute warning. It was everything you could possibly say is the wrong situation for a comeback, and it still happened. So if anyone ever asks you again, if, if anyone ever says that, oh, it's not important, you don't need to go down, go down, end the game. I, I, I wonder – I do wonder if that was even in the cards for this – matchup just in the sense that you know is he is Chubb getting the call from up top or is anyone from Cleveland relaying the messages don't go in because I think that's the biggest deciding factor there Jets did have by ESPN's win probability measures a 0.1 percent chance of putting the game away at that point so you know could have been 0.0 Kale. that's all I'll say could have been 0.0 Moving on, we have more um, more unruly fans in Cleveland. Uh, Jeffrey Miller, 51. This is a 51-year-old uh, arrested uh, for allegedly throwing a water bottle at Cleveland owner Jimmy Haslam. Uh, they're planning to ban Miller from returning to First Energy Stadium, according to ESPN. Uh, there's a video of it. Uh, basically, calls him right out. Apparently, didn't stop for police, but... We've got a uh, we've got some pretty consistently unruly fans. Uh, I I did not I did not expect this much uh, this much off field not and not necessarily player involved off field just 
stadium attendees uh, making the FO News Show this Wednesday. But here we are, Jackson. I wouldn't have expected it either. And I will never, ever, ever condone this type of behavior by a fan. Um, I do think it's interesting to note, however, that this is happening to Haslam, not just as the team blows a 13, should have been 14 point lead in the final two minutes, but it's heading into a Thursday night matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Jimmy Haslam bought a minority interest in the Steelers in 2008 and by all accounts just is a Steelers fan who happens to own a team in the Steelers division. So it's one of the, I mean, don't throw bottles at people, especially, you know, in public view with cameras flashing everywhere. Just don't do it. At the same time, like Jimmy Haslam, he doesn't, he, of all the owners in professional football, he's one of the ones who has kind of earned the vitriol of his fan base the most. Again, do not throw bottles at people. Don't do it. But I, I wouldn't say I'm shocked by this story. Well, Jimmy Haslam was not the only one with multiple rooting interests in Thursday night's game. As Joe Hayden announces his retirement this morning and his plans to sign a ceremonial one day with the Cleveland Browns in order to do it. Uh, Hayden played in the league for 12 seasons. He was a free agent this offseason, uh, drafted by the Browns seventh overall in 2010, and then spent five years in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, went to pretty dominant safety coverage there as well. Couldn't have picked a better night for it. You know, a nice Thursday night, you know, Nice prelude to a pretty strong divisional matchup with, uh, you know, no love lost between the two. It's a, uh, it's a nice way for him to go out. There is absolutely no love lost here, Kale. This is, uh, we talked about the Bucks and Saints and their violence. I'd say the only matchup in the NFL that can rival the violence that goes on between those two teams is whenever the Steelers and Browns get together for whatever reason. So, yeah, I mean, Joe Hayden, I, I think, will be remembered more as a Brown was a great Brown did have the one game ceiling interception against the Patriots in the regular season. That was essentially Pittsburgh Super Bowl that year. If I remember correctly, Patriots may have actually won the Super Bowl that year, but week 14, they lose in Pittsburgh. So who's the real winner here? Uh, and uh, Joe Hayden, just a fantastic player. Can't say enough about the career he had. I'm sure we'll see his name come out on the pro football hall of fame nominees list in a few years. Well, that about does it for the FO News Show on Wednesday. I'm excited personally to check out this matchup. The product on Amazon for Thursday nights was uh, was pretty good. We're one for one so far, and I think we got a uh, a solid, albeit uninspired, offensive matchup between the <laughs> two. But uh, I love defensive good. football, man. Let's go. Let's you know, let's really really get some good. God, I, I like watching these two. If only we had TJ Watt in this game, it'd be a True. really great edge rusher matchup. But that's all we've got. I say yeah. to you fans, do not let this Thursday night matchup, the first one that we had with the Chargers and Chiefs, distract you from the fact that in years past, we have regularly gotten some Jags Titans mustered against ugly shock blue color rush Thursday night games before. So don't hate on this one too much. Hey, listen, you're you're speaking to the wrong guy if you're insulting those mustard yellow jacks. <laughs> oh, gosh. For Jackson Roberts, I'm Kale Clinton. Thanks for listening to the FO News Show. We'll see you same time, same place next week, Wednesdays at 1. Check us out then. But for now, take care.